0: This morning, there are two short readings. Uh, The first reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 9. It can be found on page 968 in your pew Bibles. That's Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. The second reading is from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17 to 19, and that's on page 1161. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation.
1: Well, good morning. It's lovely to see you all today. Um, We are nearing the end of our morning uh, sermon series on the Beatitudes, and today I'm going to be speaking about peacemaking, or, to use a more contemporary phrase, reconciliation. And you should know that I am the perfect person uh, to give this talk um, because I am strong-willed, read stubborn, um, I am articulate, which means that I always need to have the last word in any argument, uh, and I'm nearly always in the right. Uh, This means that I have a wealth of knowledge uh, when it comes to reconciliation in relationships, um, particularly in the area of how not to do it. Um, So prepping this sermon has been quite interesting for me, Um, and because I've been working on this sermon for a couple of months now, um, I've had loads of time to practice um, what I've been learning, sometimes really successfully, and uh, other times not so much. So let's pray as we start, and um, I suppose I really want to pray that we ask God that we will be open to what he'd like to, to say to us this morning, so let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is truth. We ask now, Holy Spirit, that you come, that you open our ears and you open our hearts, and that ultimately you change our lives, change us so that we look and act and are more like your son, Jesus Christ, because it's for his glory that we we want to do this. Amen. Amen. So in June this year, uh, my parents hired a house in Cornwall uh, to celebrate my dad's 60th birthday. And uh, they invited myself and my two brothers and all our families down to celebrate with them. Um, We used to holiday down in Polzetta. It was a really special time for us as a family. And we were really excited to go back to the place we used to holiday as children and show our children what we used to get up to. The beaches were as magnificent as I remembered them. There was very good food and everything was going swimmingly. Uh, for a while. The truth is, we hadn't all lived under one roof in a very, very long time. Uh, and we all quickly started to revert to our childhood roles. Uh, and I, in particular, uh, reverted to what can only be described as a stroppy teenager. Um, this reached a head on the third night when Tom and I were playing a game of cards with my parents. Um, now, my dad and I are both fairly competitive. Um, And midway through the game, I basically morphed fully into my 15-year-old self. And I threw down my hand of cards and I stormed out of the room. And I went upstairs to our bedroom. It wasn't my bedroom. And I didn't slam the door because my daughter was asleep. But, you know, you got the idea. Um, Why am I telling you this? Well, recently I read that over 5 million people in the UK have decided to cut contact with at least one family member five million people it's an astonishing figure and as i was sitting there prepping this sermon i i thought my goodness how on earth can this happen how on earth can people be estranged from their family members Uh, and then came this sort of gentle probably heavenly prod um, and a sort of gentle reminder of my behavior back in June, and I went, oh, yes, that's why, and that's how, because relationships are hard work. They're hard work. They are. I won't ask for hands up, but I'm pretty certain that there is at least one couple here who, on the way to church this morning, had an argument. Pretty certain, as in definite. Um, And again, I'm fairly sure that there will be at least one person here today who really struggles with a sibling, or a family member. Perhaps someone you haven't spoken to in months because of something that happened years ago. And then there are those delightful people that we work with, aren't there? Those people who, as Tim from the TV series, The Office, so memorably said, are people you were just thrown together with. I mean, you don't know them and it wasn't your choice, and yet you spend more time with them than you do your friends or your family. But probably all you have in common is the fact that you walk around on the same bit of carpet for eight hours a day. How many of us would do anything to avoid having to talk to those people more than we have to. Relationships are hard work. They are tricky to navigate. And today's beatitude from Jesus tackles our difficulties with relationships head on. Jesus pulls no punches here. Blessed, he says, not happy, but a kind of deep peace that comes from being in a right relationship with God and other people. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. I think a better translation for our modern ears would be blessed are those who work for peace or blessed are those committed to the work of reconciliation. Blessed are those people who decide to spend their lives painstakingly constructing bridges rather than taking the easier option to build a wall, no matter what the cost. Why are they blessed? Because they will be called the sons of God. In other words, when we engage in reconciliation, we mirror the actions of our Heavenly Father. We exhibit the same characteristics as Him, and we we earn the right to be called sons and daughters of God. So, today we're going to look at some practical steps to help us in this area. And if this is something you feel you really want to explore further, um, a lot of my material came from a fantastic sermon by Pastor Rick Warren on reconciliation. Just Google it, it'll come up. Um, now, his sermon was 76 minutes long. Mine will not be. So um, do listen to his if you want more detail. Um, so before we look at the how of reconciliation, let's start with the why. Why do we do this? If you've still got the second reading we had open today, do, do turn with me to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and 19. Let's just read it again. It's on page 1161. Why do we do this? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting man's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Why do we do this? Why do we do it when it's so hard? We do it because we have been on the receiving end of someone paying an extraordinary cost to reconcile us to himself. God reconciled us to himself. He refused to let our behavior, which can be summed up as our rejection of him, or sin, to use the term that the Bible uses, God refused to let that be a barrier between us and him. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no longer anything, no matter how bad, that can get in the way of us having a relationship with God, even our argument on the way to church with our spouse. So once we have experienced God's reconciliation, our job is then to share this message of reconciliation with others. And firstly, that means sharing this good news, this good news that you no longer need to leave your life apart from God. He wants a relationship with you. But then secondly, it means living out what we have experienced, living out this reconciliation with others, loving God and loving our neighbor both together. So that's the why. So how do we do this? We're going to look at some practical steps today to help us become peacemakers. But before we look at them, let me just say a few things. First of all, these are our steps. They're just steps. They're just areas for how we could get started on this path to reconciliation. They're not a comprehensive list. And for some of you, they won't be appropriate. They won't be appropriate in every situation. For example, in abusive relationships, they won't be appropriate. And also they're very general ideas. Each of us have very different relationships and some of us will have very difficult relationships to navigate. But I find it helpful to remember that when we choose to become peacemakers, Jesus says we will be blessed. We can trust him in this. We will be blessed. So let's look at some ideas that might help us start on this process of reconciliation. First of all, make the first move. Make the first move. Now somewhat annoyingly, In my opinion, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who wait patiently for other people to come and say they're sorry. Doesn't say that. Nor does Jesus say, blessed are those who engage in peacemaking when they're the one at fault. Instead, Jesus says, blessed are those people who decide to take a step. Blessed are the peacemakers, the person who makes a decision to act irrespective of what the other person is doing. Conflict is never resolved accidentally. We need to be intentional. And this is hard. It's hard work, especially if you're convinced that you are in the right, even more so if you know you're in the wrong. Peacemaking requires us to confront our fear, fear that the offer of reconciliation will be rejected, fear of a bigger fight, fear that we will be misunderstood. The only way we can get the courage to confront our fears is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In 1 John 4:18, it says, perfect love drives out fear. When we are filled with God's love, we are able to confront our fears and decide that we will make the first step, that we will be a peacemaker. So that's the first thing, make the first move. Secondly, ask God for wisdom, ask God for wisdom. Now, I am a rhino, not literally but in the way that I engage in arguments. So if someone comes up against me, and as I'm currently a stay-at-home mom, this is usually my husband or my children, um, I lower my head and I charge. Uh, and with a full and thoroughly verbal description as to why I am in the right. My blood boils very, very quickly. But it also means that it cools very quickly. And What will normally happen is I'll leave the room and after a few minutes I'll think, what am I doing? Why why did I behave like that? Okay, I need to sort this out. So I'll make the decision to reconcile, and I'll go downstairs, and I'll start trying to engage in reconciliation. I'll try to be a peacemaker. And what will inevitably happen is I will say the wrong thing, or I will do it in the wrong way, or at the wrong time, or I will completely miss the point of the whole argument. I'll focus on something that I think is the issue, and we'll get it hopelessly wrong. Reconciliation involves a decision, but boy, do we need wisdom in that decision-making process. And the best place to get wisdom is from God. James 1.5 says, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. Ask him, and he'll gladly tell you. Reconciliation is God's work. He wants us to do it. He knows we're human. He knows what's going on in the situation, so ask him. Lord, what's going on here? What's the actual issue? What should I be doing? What should I be saying? When's a good time to deal with this issue? How should I start the conversation? How do we go about doing this? We need to ask for wisdom. Then, it's going to get hard now, guys. Begin with what's my fault. Begin with what's my fault. Now, before your hackles rise too much, let's just listen to Jesus on this one. Just listen to his advice. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. In other words, we will always have something to apologize for, we will, even if it's our own defensiveness or our irritation at the other person's major failings. We all have logs. But by apologising them, the other person's defences are lowered. And um, if this still leaves you blinking incomprehensibly, how about trying this sentence? I'm sorry I was only thinking of myself. I'm sorry I was only thinking of myself. I tell you, if anyone used that sentence on me, top tip, um, when I was in full rhino mode, I think the ground would be sort of literally whipped out from under my feet. Or to change metaphors slightly, the wind would be removed from my sails. Why? Because I wouldn't have anything to fight against. (laughs) Oh, Oh, okay, you're apologizing. All right, then, let's talk about the issue. I'm sorry, I was only thinking of myself. Begin with what's my fault. And then we need to listen for their hurt and perspective. Now, some of you here will be internally screaming, what about my hurt and my painfulness? We're coming to that. But to be a peacemaker, to be someone committed to the work of reconciliation, someone who mirrors the behavior of God... Involves costly actions, and this is one of them. In Philippians 2, it says, Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In Greek, the word look here means focus on intently, like a microscope. Don't just glance at what other people are hearing. Don't just think you know what they're feeling. Really focus on them. Ask them, what are you feeling? What's the issue here? How can I help you? When we do this, what happens? We become like Jesus. We take on his attitudes. We behave like him. And the Beatitudes, they're countercultural. To behave like this, especially when a relationship has gone wrong, especially when you're in the middle of an argument, it's hard work. It's countercultural. It requires an enormous effort. It requires courage to take the, the focus from ourselves and how we are feeling and put it onto the other person. And it's only possible again when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. When we're filled with God's perfect love. Focus on the other person. Then speak the truth in love. Here we are. This is the bit where we can express how we are feeling, but again, there's a caveat. Ephesians 4:15 says, "Speaking the truth in love." In love. Now, I hate to be late. It's probably one of my biggest bugbears. And a couple of weeks ago, I was getting ready, the, the kids ready for the school run. Now, to make this process as painless as possible, I have devised systems like you would not believe. Um, Toby's uniform is laid out the night before on his carpet by his bed. My bag is packed, uh, the children's bags are packed, all the snacks are packed, everything is ready. Um, And so a couple of weeks ago, uh, all was going well. Everyone was getting ready for school, it was going well, uh, until I asked Toby to put on his coat. Now, clearly, Uh, Toby was uh, deeply involved in a very important task at that moment. I suspect it was something like uh, attaching a piece of elastic to a door handle because that is the kind of important thing you need to be doing at 8.25 on a school morning. Um, So Toby ignored me. So I asked again, "Uh, Toby, can you put on your coat, please? And again, I got no response. At this point, my blood was starting to go a little bit. Uh, So my voice got louder, and I said, Toby, put on your coat now. It was obviously a very difficult piece of elastic uh, because Toby ignored me for the third time. That's a mistake. Um, I lost it. I lost it. I started shouting at him about how we needed to go now because it was getting late and I had a long way to cycle. didn't you know how stressful it was for me getting everyone ready in the morning and having that responsibility. And it was cold outside, so we needed to get his coat on now. And Toby looked at me He burst into tears, he sat on the step, and he covered both ears with his hands. And that really made me feel like I was winning as a parent. (laughs) Now, was I telling the truth? Yes, absolutely. We did need to go, it was cold outside, and he did need to wear his coat. Was I doing it in love? Absolutely not. The moment I started yelling, Toby stopped hearing my words. And started listening to my emotion, which was anger and irritation. And I get that. You know what, if someone yells at me, I don't feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I feel angry back. My defenses come up. My rhino mask comes down. It is good to explain how we are feeling. But we need to think about the way we express it. We need to speak the truth in love then we need to fix the problem, not the blame. Um, You may have gathered that I like words. I like writing, I like speaking, and when I'm filled with adrenaline, for example, when I'm very angry, uh, words become my weapon. And in almost any relationship, there will be certain loaded words. Words that you know will really cut the other person to the quick. Words like, oh, you're just like your mother or Dad was right, you always do this, or see, and you couldn't change. And they're very satisfying weapons to use, aren't they? Especially when we feel that we've been attacked and hurt, we wanna use them, we wanna use these weapons, we wanna repay hurt for hurt, don't we? That's our natural response. But as peacemakers, we are called to go against our natural inclination. In Colossians 3.8, it said, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Malice means those words which are intentionally designed to hurt. And slander means those insults and those things that are so belittling, the things that come so easily when we're in the middle of an argument. We have to rid ourselves of those. We have to get rid of them and we have to focus and fix the issue at the heart of the problem, not fix the blame. And then finally, a final step, a final suggestion. Focus on reconciliation and not resolution. To be a peacemaker means to hold the restoration of the relationship as the main goal, the most important thing. And sometimes, sometimes that will mean we need to let some things go. We need to let them go. We need to recognize that more often than not, we simply won't agree on everything. Not everything will be resolved. And that's another costly part of reconciliation. We may not get the vindication or the acknowledgement that we were right that we want. We may have to let some things go, but when we do so, we decide that the relationship is the most important thing. We, We mirror the work of our Heavenly Father. We will be called sons of God. Let's finish by returning to my Cornish holiday this summer. I'm sure you're all dying to know how that one worked out. If you recall, I had just stormed out of a game of cards because that's what a mature 33-year-old woman does when she's on holiday with her parents. My poor husband was left sitting very awkwardly at the table, uh, and I was upstairs in our bedroom managing to do a very good job of justifying my behavior. Now, one of the many wonderful things about the Holy Spirit is that he doesn't leave us, even when we go on holiday. Uh, And so after a little while, I began to gain some heavenly perspective on the whole situation, which meant realizing um, that I had behaved like an idiot. Thankfully, um, my dad also knows and loves Jesus very much. Uh, And so in the morning, um, somewhat hesitantly, and yes, very awkwardly, uh, my dad and I apologized to each other. Which is another way of saying we mirrored the behavior of God uh, and embarked on reconciliation. Did we follow all the steps outlined in my sermon today? No, mostly because I hadn't written it then. But also because (laughs) reconciliation is fundamentally about two sinners coming together and saying, I refuse to let anything, even the embarrassing behavior that I have just witnessed or engaged in, get in the way of our relationship. It's about recognizing that it's always more important to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. And I started by saying that reconciliation is hard work. And I'm sure that for some of you here today, this sermon will have stirred up a whole host of big feelings. So we're just going to pray to finish. I'd love us to pray because the best person to process all this stuff with is God. So we're going to spend some time praying, and then we're going to go into communion, which is perfect if you think about it, because communion is a visual picture of God, the work that God has done the work that he has done in reconciling us to himself. And what a great reminder to us of what's happened to us. So let's pray now as we finish. Father, thank you that through Christ's costly death, you have reconciled us to yourself. Thank you that you no longer count our sins against us. Forgive us when we do not treat others as we have have been treated by you. Forgive us when we allow our pride and hurt and anger to build a wall between us and others. Let's just spend a moment just bringing to mind anything that 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 resonates with. Father, we want to be peacemakers. We want to be agents of reconciliation, but we are frail, and we find it so incredibly difficult at times. So Lord, this morning we ask for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord God, would you fill us up with your love? Would you fill us up with your compassion? Would you fill us up with your courage and your grace? We just pray, come Holy Spirit now. Thank you, Father. Amen.